That horn section, man, just killing it this morning. So listen, we are so thankful that you're here today. Thankful for you guys watching online as well. Everybody say good morning, North Dallas. Come on, everybody say good morning. Woo! Always good to see y'all here. We got Utah watching, Hawaii watching. There's people all over the nation that are joining us via online. So just remember, you can share that and let people know because it is encouraging to us when we hear all of those great stories. But let me tell you, it's you in this room today that make it happen for us, y'all. Come on, give a little love today. Come on, y'all. You made it. Because trust me, when this band gets going, they love to feel your energy. And when you're cl you know, clapping and applauding for them, it just means the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for getting up and being here. Uh, a lot of people have been asking, you know, this is 15 years. We've turned 15 next month. They said, let's keep doing good. Why? Why do you keep talking about doing good and what is this all about? Well, hopefully by today's message, when it's all over with, you'll go, okay, I get it. But it is going to challenge you a little bit if you grew up in church or if you're a longtime Christian. It's going to be a little bit, it's going to poke you a little wrong just because it's one of those things that, oh, I don't know if I need to hear that or not. But I know as a pastor for many, many years now growing up in the church, I need to hear it. So I'm speaking to myself as much as I am speaking to you. But let me give you some good news at the beginning on why we keep doing good. Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Do good wherever you go and after a while, the good will come back to you. Can I get an amen on that somewhere? Come on, y'all. Let me hear you. Now, why is this important? Everything that we're challenging you to do or asking you to do, God promises that when you're doing good for someone else, this is me, this isn't the church, he's saying it's going to come back to you. Now, some of you go, that sounds like karma. Well, I'm going to tell you, it sounds like Jesus, and I'm going to prove it. Luke chapter 6, here's Jesus. If you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. See, this is what's interesting to me. When you really start looking at what Jesus was talking about and the promises and all of the challenges he gave to us, he's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. Some of us are so, you know, uh, restricted when it comes to helping people or you're not sure you're going to do this and not sure you can trust them or how's this going to work. He's saying, no, listen, it's between me and you. So when you give to someone else, I'm going to give you a full amount of return. It will be packed down, shaken together, spilling over to your lap. The way that you treat others is the way that you will be treated. Notice how he started talking about giving, and then he went into the way we treat each other. Well, this is why I am so thankful for you at Simple Church. I'm so thankful for today's message because when we see a need, our goal is to try to meet the need. And when I challenge you with things, many times you're like, I don't know if I can do this or not. This is something all of us can do, and we have a promise attached to it. And the way that we treat others is the way that we're going to be treated, the way we give to others. He said, man, I'm going to bless you way more than you could ever imagine. So then I had this thought, putting all the notes together. Imagine just for a minute that you are the one in need. You are the one that things aren't going well for, that you're struggling to you know, take care of your classroom or take care of your own children. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to make it happen. Imagine you're the new teacher and you walk in your classroom and everybody's got everything decorated and you're going, man, I don't know how I'm going to decorate everything. I don't know how I can afford to make everything happen. 
You heard Corey's story, and the reason it's so powerful, she's a Benton Intermediate, but I mean, coming up through foster care and all the different stories, but here she is, an amazing young woman, sacrificing and giving and continue to press forward. Why? Because she knows what it's like to be without. She knows what it's like to need that inspiration or that encouragement. And that's why I think she deserves one more round of applause for all that she's doing. Corey, great job. Because if you've been there, you're kind of go, I get it. I feel it. I know what's going on. Well, what about if your children were hungry? I mean, many of us blessed, you're not having to worry about that. But in our community, there are thousands and thousands of children that are hungry. Corey's story, even she said, man, we didn't know where we, she would go to the trash can, y'all, right here in our community. So you wonder why we care and why we don't want to talk about us and buildings and all this other stuff. These are just some of the examples. Imagine it's you, imagine it's your child. Well, this next story is where Jesus did exactly what I'm attempting to do for you today. He said, let me just get all of your attention because there was a legal expert, somebody who knew all the rules, came up to him, and they were trying to weasel out of doing the right thing. And Jesus told the story. It's familiar to all of us, but let's go again. Luke chapter 10. If you grew up in church, you've heard it. It's called the Good Samaritan. There's some really weird things in that we'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. But you already know the basic premise is they were on a journey. Jesus is telling a story. They're moving from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was known for a lot of bad things happening on this road. Not a good neighborhood. So they encountered thieves, not going to be shocked. But then they stripped this person, this man, <laughs> naked, beat him, and left him near death. And now, just at that moment when all that's about to happen, right, a priest comes by. Jesus puts the highest religious person you can think of in their culture as the first guy to roll by. So he's going down the same road. And in that interaction, he sees the man. Now, the reason I underline he saw him is because many of us, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to know what's there. So we kind of turn the channel or we look another way. But Jesus was making the point. No, I saw him. The priest saw him. And then he crossed over to the other side of the road. Jesus is really just driving it home because you and I both know what he's really setting up here. It's like us walking out this door right now and you're seeing a homeless person and you kind of look the other way. Or if you're in a neighborhood that's starting to, quote, deteriorate, and all of a sudden you move to a better neighborhood, that's what he's saying. So in the midst, the story continues, all right? So then here comes a Levite. Well, who's the Levite? He's another religious leader. Priest at the top, Levites knew all the rules, knew all the laws, but he's picking religious people. Jesus is picking religious people to be the bad guys in the story. Now, I'm not making this up. You look at it and read it for yourself. So they came to the same spot, saw the injured man. There he is. He saw him again. But he also crossed the other side of the road and went on his way. Now, why in the world is this so important? Because think about our culture right now. Think about our churches right now. When things are going bad around the world or in our own neighborhood, we almost do the exact same thing, pretend it's not happening, look the other way, cross the other side of the road. But then here's the crazy part, a Samaritan who's on his journey, came to where the man was. And a Samaritan, let me explain this. I'm not a theologian, I'm not a sharp guy, but I did do a little research and know this much. In their culture, in the Jewish culture, Samaritan was a half-breed. So that was like a mixed breed, okay? You try to put in there. They did not like them. The Jewish culture was like, uh-uh. You're supposed to stay true to being a Jew. You're not supposed to mix with any other races or any other you know, groups. And here it is. A Samaritan group was literally a mixed breed. And they did not like them. They were the worst of the worst. 
They made fun of them. They talked about them. They wouldn't even hang out with them. They were so despised. But here Jesus is making this guy the hero. So who was on this journey? He came by. He sees the Samaritan who was on the same journey, right? But when he saw him, now just think about this, moved with compassion. This is why I love you, Simple Church, and this is why I'm going to challenge you to keep doing good. When you see someone in trouble, when you see someone in the world or someone in your neighborhood in trouble, this is really the first important component. Does, do you care? If a teacher in your community does not have what they need, do you care? If a child is going hungry in your community, do you care? Because the Samaritan and Jesus drove it home. He's like, man, you just got to care. The Samaritan was moved with compassion. And then he went to him. He didn't go on the other side of the road. He didn't avoid him. He went to him. Bandaged his wounds, tended to him, oil and wine, took care of him, right? Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, took care of him the next day. So now here we go. Now he's not only just taking care of him immediately, he's taking care of him over a few days. Two full days worth of wages gave it to the innkeeper. And then he said, if there's anything else that comes up, I got his back on this too. So then Jesus asked the question, what do you think? Which one of these was the neighbor to the man who was encountering the thieves? Well, this legal guy's like going, duh, right? The one who demonstrated mercy towards him. And then Jesus says it for all of us. Then go and do likewise. So don't just say, well, I've heard that story. No, the moral of the story is, is that we walk out into our community, into our world. We don't just sit comfortably in a sermon. We don't just sit here and go, okay, this is it. No, it's like it drives us to care, to be like Jesus, to walk out and go, man, I can't ignore it. People ask, why do I get frustrated with church people? Because I've been in church most of my life and they frustrate me. That's one reason. But number two is this is it. Because they love sitting on their donkey. You're right. I changed it to donkey to make it appropriate for everyone. You get it. Use the King James Version, church people. You'll know what I'm saying here, right? It's because we're just real comfortable just sitting. Oh, man, we'll sit and listen. We'll sit and sing sometimes if we like it. I mean, we just kind of sit there. Okay, okay. And then even worse than being passive is many times the church is selfish. We're all guilty of it, including me, the pastor. You don't want to be. You're trying to work through it. But truthfully, our culture... Where we live and how we live, man, it just pushes us this way. And Jesus knew the same 2,000 years ago. So this is why he's going, hey, listen, I don't want you to just sit on your donkey. I'm calling all of you and giving you the story of the Good Samaritan to say, get off your donkey. Now you go, well, Justin, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, come on. Here's James. This is a pretty good one. This is tough. To him who knows to do good and does not do it is what? The truth is, is none of us even like saying it. Because we don't think we're that bad. Or we think of sin as that, you know, making out with your girlfriend back in the day when you wasn't supposed to and blah, 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 blah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. College days, drinking too much last night. You understand. You're like, that's sin. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's going to really, really level the playing field and go, let me tell you what sin is, good Christian person. is when you know you're supposed to do something and you don't do it. When you see a teacher has needs that need to be met and you just go, ah, they'll be all right. When you see a child that is hungry in your community and you're going, man, where are we eating today? I hate that for them. 
See, this is where James is like, I'm going to break it down for you. And this is where in the church, in the American church, we always just kind of, I don't know, man, it's weird. I've grown up in it. We don't really talk about this a lot. We kind of come in here and you have this idea of, well, just give me a good message, man. Give me something that helps me. And Jesus is going, what I'm trying to do is challenge you to help others because that's the real help that goes the distance. That's what changes you, not by just hearing a sermon and listening to another sermon and singing another song. It's like, no, here is your opportunity. Will you do it or will you not? Because I don't want you to live in sin. So the challenge, put simply, is get off your donkey and do good. I like that, right? That's really the challenge. If you're going to do something, if you're trying to figure out, how do I live out this Christian life? Quit sitting on your donkey and find some way to help somebody. Now, prove it, Justin. Third John, right? Chapter 1, verse 11. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. See, this is where it starts going now. Are you really in it or are you just kind of playing with it? Or do you like Christianity because it's the cool place to be and there's some single ladies in here and you're looking around the room? Or are you going, no, no, I'm going to do what he asked me to do to prove to the world that I know him. And it's not about what's in it for me. It's about what I can do for someone else. It's about how I can literally follow Jesus and change my community or change the world. That is the purpose of the church, not to sit and sing and listen to sermons. It is so that the, we could be the light of the world, that we could change the world. And it did in the early church, but somehow through time and through American culture, we've watered it down and changed it down to where you just sit and sing. You just, oh, come on, that's great. Oh, that was good. Where are we, oh, where are we going to eat? What do we, man, I, oh, let's go find something to do. What's the next conference? When are we going to the next conference? He's going, listen, man, you know a lot, but are you going to do it? So then I write down in my notes, because I'm thinking, I am you. We are together in the same, but why don't we get off our donkey? Why don't we go do something? This is pretty easy, and it's right there in the Samaritan story again. You ready? Number one, the reason we don't is because we know it's going to cost us time and money. And in America, that's everything, isn't it? So the challenge now is, wait a second, you want me to do what? You want me to help who? You want me, because the truth is, I don't know if I have time for that. I don't know if I can make time for that. So whether that's sometimes a mission trip or a better example is if we're going out here today and someone has a flat tire and your daughter looks at you and says, Hey, Dad, I, I see someone's broke down right there. And you're like, look the other way, honey. We got to beat the Methodist. Let's go. <laughs> you know it's true. I don't have time for this today. And Jesus, you think the priest, he used priest, a Levite, and then a Samaritan. All of them were busy. All of them were on the way to town. But then he said, no, one of them said, I'm going to make time. So here we are. It's like, and then if you go money on top of that, and the reason the church gets a bad rap and it's justified is because most of the time the church has been so selfish, the only time we talk about money is for us. In all of the history and all of the time growing up, it was like, you know, we're doing this, we need it, we need you to come through. What I'm trying to do and what I hope you appreciate is if we're talking about money and we're talking about you giving, it's so that we can change something in our world and our community. So that when it comes down to, I'm not sitting here going, man, you, we're not passing a chicken bucket today. We're not passing the gold plate or the felt bag. None of that is happening today. But what I am asking you to do at the end, 
is go to Amazon and buy some teachers some stuff. Because not one penny comes to us. What I am asking you to do is go, yeah, it's going to cost you a little time. You're going to have to get on your app, take about two minutes, and spend maybe $10. And who knows who you encourage, you inspire, or you lift up. But once again, this is why we don't do it. This is why we don't help. Man, I don't know if I got time for that. I don't know if I got the money for it. So what do we do? We go to church and we fill our time with Bible study and we just ignore the needs around us. And we just keep studying the Bible and we keep singing the worship songs and we ignore that the world is in trouble. And we think that they're somehow going to come to Jesus as a result. When they can't feed their kids... When they don't have the resources they need. And by the way, they're willing to go into a classroom that many of us already know we're not willing to do. Why? They don't make enough money and you ain't got that much time. (laughs) You're like, I ain't going to go do that. So why do I bring all of this up at this time? Because back to the Samaritan story, when you see scriptures like this, this is what messes with you. Luke chapter 10. He placed the wounded man on his own donkey. What does that that mean? Why is that important? Because he's saying, hey, what I have is now not just used for me. It's used for somebody else in need. Took him to an inn and took care of him. Took time to take care of him, right? Next day, two full days. Like you're talking about, do we have time to do that? Jesus was driving the point home. He gave him what? What did he say? Two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. And then says, if there's anything above that, holler at a brother. I got you. Now think about this. Jesus was saying and driving it home clearly to that church, to the early church, which is, by the way, the message to us. And he was saying this, if you want to follow me, if you want to be Christ-like, a Christian, it's going to cost you. And you go, what do you mean? Luke 14, 33, the message translation, one of the toughest. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, Whether it's your plans or your people. And kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. I told you it's going to sting a little bit, but this is one that didn't get preached very often in church. This is one of those sermons that everybody's like, well, what are you saying? What he's saying is it's going to cost you. We put family before Jesus. We put jobs before Jesus. We put our plans before Jesus. And he's like, that don't work for me. And what I'm hoping for is that when the times get tough, when it is really rubber meeting the road, that there will be a group of people that says, man, this is going to cost us. It's going to cost us some time. It's going to cost us some money. But I'm going to be willing to do it. And I'm going to follow whatever he's asking me to do, even though it may not be the most popular. And it may not even be the way to grow a church. (laughs) But we got to do it. So people say, well, man, isn't this kind of counterintuitive? Isn't it weird that you're not asking money for yourself, that you're trying to give it to somebody else? This is all counterintuitive. It doesn't work the way we do in America. It's like, hey, this is why it implodes. This is why pastors get in trouble. This is why churches, you know, disappear over time because they get so self-absorbed, so believe it's all about them or all about their church that they miss the whole gospel, They miss the whole point of following Jesus. They miss the whole challenge. And this is the thing. I'm not above it and you're not above it. So before you judge somebody else, let's look in the mirror and go, man, am I willing to give my time? Am I willing to give my money? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus even when it's uncomfortable? Because that's the second point. The reason we don't get off our donkey is because when you're riding by a circumstance or a situation, 
and it's messy and it's complicated, you're like, somebody else going to figure that out. This is where it starts going, dude, if it's messy and complicated, I don't want to get involved in that. I'm not going to get involved with kids starving in Africa. I'm not going to get involved with kids in our own community who are starving. How in the world can we solve that? I mean, I'm just going to forget the messy and the complicated. But then when you look back at the Good Samaritan story, Jesus, remember I told you last week he went like gangster when he was talking about kids? He said, it'd be better for you to have a millstone around your neck and be, go drown yourself than to cause a kid to stumble. That's gangster. Just remember that, all right? Here's another really, really weird thing that everybody just kind of sugarcoats, but let's really drive it home. Luke 10. The man that was on the side of the road was naked, y'all. You talk about messy and complicated, see a naked person. Can I get an amen on that? If we walk out of here right now and there's a naked man in the lobby, which way are you going? Every one of y'all here, oh my God, God, not one, God. If we go to the street, you go to the restaurant today, and there's a naked man just walk in, how y'all doing? How y'all? You'll be like, what is happening? Jesus put a naked man in the story. He was like, let me tell you how crazy this story is. This guy is not just naked, he's bleeding. He is beat up and he's that close to death. And no wonder the priest walked away. No wonder the Levite wouldn't look. No wonder nobody was like, oh my gosh, that guy's naked over there. Now all I could think about when I read this in the story was I grew up watching cops. Anybody grow up watching cops? Go ahead and play the soundtrack, son. This is what I grew up with right here. Hit it right here. Anybody remember this right here? I can remember. Yeah, as it happens. They're innocent until proven guilty. I can remember an innocent man who was naked on cops, covered in blood, and they were trying to get this man down. And I was thinking, there ain't no way I'd do that job. And then this is the other part that hit me. Who do we call to go handle that? Policemen, firemen, first responders. Why? Because you go, that's your job. That's what you signed up to do. That's what you're supposed to do. I was out front. One of the police, three or policemen, he goes, man, I heard that in that first story. And man, I'm telling you, dude, I don't like my job when that happens either. <laughs> because who wants to do it? There's nobody's like, oh, a naked man on East Coons, you know what I'm saying? Running up and down the street. I'll take that one. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Jesus, put it back on the scripture on the screen for me so I can just show it to you. Jesus, put it on here. Why would he do that? Because he knew me and you. And he knew that we always avoid that. We knew that you go, hey, that's on them, man. That's somebody else's job. And he was like, no, if you're a Christian, if you're Christ-like, if you're a Jesus follower, then what I'm going to ask for you is to run to what no one else will run to. I'm going to ask you to get involved what makes everybody uncomfortable, what is complicated and messy. I don't want you to avoid it. I want you to get involved and I want you to put your time and your money because I want you to care. But here's the problem in America. This is what happens in American churches. This is what happens with all of us in here. Now check ourselves on this. You know what happens? The religious love, neat, clean, easy ministry, but not Jesus. See, we can't say, well, I love you, Jesus. Then he's like, well, then follow me. Let's go into this. Let's go handle that. Jesus was going, everything that he did is he went to the messy. He went to the complicated. Hey, he came to me and you. When you had all your sin and all your complications and all the junk that you drag in, Jesus came to us. 
When everybody else was avoiding. And here's the irony, right, church? Go through a divorce and see how the church responds. Go through a crisis where you make a really bad choice. And you really, man, you're drunk driving. Man, you've made, you're bankrupt or you stole from somebody. You were at your worst moment. You made the worst decisions ever. Check the church when that happens. Because most of the time, and when it's messy and it's complicated, we're like, oh my God, oh no, no, do that. So why is the similar church weird and different? Because we are not perfect. We have not got it figured out. But our heart is, our desire is, is to run to the mess. And we're, we're human too, so we mess that up. We don't get it right all the time, but our heart is, hey man, we got to figure out how we can help. We got to figure out what we can do. It's messy. It's complicated. And everybody on this stage, for the record, got some mess and some complications, I promise you. The people backstage, the people taking care of kids, the people running all the computers, this pastor. So we don't say we're above all that. We've reached a level where that's not really us. And we just need to take care of those people. Those people are us people. So what we're doing is just going, hey, listen, it's not going to be neat, clean, and easy ministry. It just don't, it don't exist if you're following Jesus. He's always going to call you to uncomfortable. He's always going to call you to messy. He don't really like neat and clean, easy ministry. Go look it up. I'll give you a story. Matthew 8, for all the skeptics and all the religious. Who, I just don't know about this one, Pastor. Matthew 8. Look, a leper is approaching. Who's the leper? The leper in their community was like, don't get close to that dude. You better stay away from him. That dude's going to kill all of us. He, they, they're ostracized. They were put out there. They had to announce that they're coming. Look, oh, leper. And you go, why? Because this is what it looks like. This is what leprosy does to you. This is not somebody you go, well, come here and give me a hug, brother. Good morning. But what does Jesus do? Look, a leper's approaching. The leper pleads, Jesus, if you want to, if you want to, you can heal me. Jesus touches the man and says what? I want to. See, this is where the want to has got to come in. If you got a want to, there's a way to. So when we want to, it changes everything. Christians used to be known for this kind of love. They were so close to Jesus and following that, man, when the world was ending and stuff was going bad, Christians rallied. I did a little research, kind of blows my mind, but this is what will really blow your mind. Christians used to be known for going where no one else would go and doing what no one else would do. Back in the Europe, Got somebody in the audience today from France. Welcome. Oui, oui, monsieur. Or madame, okay. And why do I say that? Because once again, America, think, we think we're the only country on the planet. By the way, there's a lot of people in a lot of other places. And God loved the whole world. Can I get an amen on that? So that's why we care about what goes on in the world. You can't just say, well, forget them. I don't care about them. Just take care of our own. Not if you're a Christian. Sounds good if you're an American, yes. But if you're a Christian, that's where it gets really complicated. Because he's like, no, man, this is the only way they know is by your love, by you taking care of them, by you meeting the need, by you be willing to do what no one else will do. In Europe, back in the day, there was something called the Black Plague. You're talking about the worst of the worst disease. Took out 30 to 50% of every country in Europe. I'm talking about killing half of the population. And in the midst of that, you go, well, what does that look like? What was the Black Plague? I pulled a video. This is off the History Channel, so if you're squeamish, don't look. If you got kids and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he showed that. This is on the History Channel, y'all. I'm just pulling so you'll understand the Black Plague, the bubonic plague. And you go, well, what did it look like? How did it affect people? Watch this. 
Once infected, the victim would first experience a high fever, aching limbs and fatigue. Within days, the lymph nodes in the neck, armpits and groin would start to swell and turn black. The stinking pus-filled swellings, otherwise known as buboes, gave the bubonic plague its name. Their nervous system under attack, victims would become crazed and delirious with fever. Once the swollen lymph nodes started to burst within the body, the sufferer was not long for this world. Death usually occurred within the week. Now let me blow your mind. What would you do, Christian? Are you running to them? Are you going, man, don't you come close to my family, cuz. Look like a zombie. I don't want no zombies around me. Blow your mind. The early church ran to the problem, to solve the problem, to be involved, to help. No political statements, no judgment, no trying to explain it. They just went in and said, boy, when you're hurting and it's messy and it's ugly, we're called to go in. And this is what was written in one of the journals found during the bubonic plague in Europe. Ready? Most of our Christian brothers, right, showed up unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, thinking only of one another. Continues on. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them, departed this life happy. Drawing on themselves the sickness, right? For they were infected by others when the disease was drawing on themselves with the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Take it home to Shreveport, Louisiana. She said, well, that's Europe. Glad them Christians over there got it. But what about Shreveport? Yellow fever hit in 1873. A quarter of the population died in Shreveport. As a matter of fact, if you go to Municipal Auditorium, you go to that little graveyard right behind it, that big mound is the mass grave of people that died. And guess who came to their aid? Five priests willing to lay down their life to serve those that were dying of yellow fever. Now let me just go ahead and throw this out there. How do we do during COVID, church? Don't go there, Justin. It's over. This is why we got mad. This is why what you say and what you do matters. It's because time will tell our story. And when you're walking with Jesus, you don't avoid the mess. Why do we feed all the hospital staff? Why do we go in and make sure that every doctor and nurse that we could find, we were trying to find some way to go, look, dude, we don't care about no politics. We just want to know, are you hungry? Then we're going to feed you. Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? We went to local businesses. So thank you, every business in here that supported our doctors and our nurses and all of our hospital staff, because what did we do? We gave away tons of free gifts to all of them. Just to remind them, we care about you. We value you in the middle of the pandemic. And yes, we lined up in our cars and prayed over the hospitals to remind them that we care about you, that you're not forgotten, that when everyone else is arguing and fighting, dude, we don't really care about that. We just want to show up and try to help. So this is why when you go take care of children with cancer down in Florida, it's going to cost you time and money. But let me tell you something. It's messy. It's complicated because children die. Your families have to work through how does that happen. Sometimes kids recover, but in the midst of all of that, it's messy and it's complicated. But what are we supposed to do? Pretend it's not happening? This is why we go all the way over to Africa and watch kids that are starving and looking for meals. And we ask you to give a little money and sponsor a kid and feed someone. Because no sermon at this point, is, it means anything. 
This is why you go to Honduras and you drill a water well because as we throw water away and water bells, go, you know, water bottles everywhere, this is the community that you go. We got to make sure that those people have water. Why? Because it's messy and it's complicated and it costs us time and it costs us money. But that's what Jesus called us to do, to be the light of the world. Not to sit in here and sing and listen to sermons and go, well, I feel better. Now let's go eat. I'm just worried about my kid really growing up in the right environment. You really worried about your kid growing up in the right environment? Well, then make sure you teach them it's not about them. Make sure you give them every opportunity to see the need and meet the need. Make sure you teach them that when they see a problem, that they solve a problem because that's the Jesus that we serve. He is not racist. He is not political. He is not a God that fits into your world or your world and he makes everyone look like you and feel like you. He went into the God of the world, regardless of where you come from. He is Jesus who said, I will come from the Middle East, but I want to make sure that every person on the planet knows their value and their worth. And how are they going to do that? Because you're going to serve them and you're going to give to them and you're going to sacrifice for them. And they're going to know by your love, not by your sermons. So here's good news for you. What am I asking you to do? Help teachers and help kids in our community. And I just did a little research. I figured it out. You ready? This is it. Helping teachers won't kill you. Can I get an amen on that? It ain't the bubonic plague, people. We're not talking about the yellow fever. We're talking about going to Amazon and buying a few things for kids that are in a bind. We're talking about packing a few meals so that kids are not hungry when they go on the weekend when our kids are looking at the cabinet full of food go, I won't see nothing to eat in here, Daddy. Can I get an amen? <laughs> this is why it matters. This is why you want to raise them different. This is why it's not about just getting them in a comfortable church. No, comfortable is not following Jesus. It's about making them uncomfortable. It's about pushing them to do what they don't think they can do. It's about looking for the outsider at the table. It's about thinking about the kid who is rejected in the classroom. It is talking about the kid who does stink because his parents don't have water. They couldn't pay the water bill. And they couldn't wash his clothes. That's the Jesus that I know in Scripture. And that's what I hope and pray you get. This is why we're asking you to get off your donkey. Look their way. Just help somebody. Now, Simple Church has been committed for years doing this. Now, why am I going to show this to you? I'm going to show you a video that shows thousands of kids getting shoes, thousands of kids getting backpacks. Because if you're new to the church and you're going, well, boy, he's just talking right now. I mean, I wonder if they've ever done this. This is not to brag. This is not to say we have it figured out. But let me tell you why we do it. Because if you need to be inspired, if you need to go, man, I can do something and we can do something. People just like you have been committed for the last 15 years to go, dude, it can't be about us. So Life Groups created bike ministry to buy bikes for schools that were in a bind. We've put thousands and thousands of shoes on the feet of kids in Caddo Paris and Bossier Paris. We've made sure that thousands of kids had food, including backpacks with food and backpacks with school supplies. Because we do want to choose love. And show up and not just talk about it, but do it. So thank you. And let's celebrate what God has done in this two-minute video or so. Watch.
Y'all give yourself a little round of applause right there. Pretty awesome. All right, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to get you out of here. And why would I show you all that is because did you see the smiles? You think it matters? And then I'll ask you if you've ever served or ever helped before, didn't it make you feel better than anything you had given? My buddy Keith, we went down and drilled this last water well, and he was like, dude, this changed my life. I have a different perspective now. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter if it's in Honduras or it's right here in the neighborhood. The bottom line is death to self. That is the whole idea of following Jesus. Philippians 3, 13. We celebrate the past, but I want to remind you, I know that I still have a long way to go. There's one thing I do. I forget what's in the past, and I try as hard as I can to reach the goal before me. Hey, I'm so thankful for what we've done in the past, but dude, we ain't done yet. So what's the goal for the future? To keep doing good. To not just go, man, we've done enough. That's enough. Now let's make it about ourselves. No, the truth is, until the day I die, until this church is no longer existing, I pray that this is what we're known for, that we keep finding ways to solve problems locally, globally, nationally, that we will not be known for great preaching or great songs, although I think we got great band, and I think I'm all right as a preacher, but the bottom line is, I sure hope that you're changed and your family's changed. And that's why we do projects like this. 
next weekend? Why are we doing all these different projects? There's about 12 or 13 groups right here. These are life groups. They've got a whole life group thing going out front. But what we're challenged is if you're a life group, find a school. Pick up the phone. Call a local school. Get a project. Find some way to help a teacher. Because trust me, all of these schools have needs. And there are so many more. Make sure if, you, if, you're, if you're a young family and you're looking for something to do that's easy, we're going to do a backpack snack packing thing at Bozier Elementary. Say that three times real fast, all right? It's a backpack snack packing event at Bozier Elementary. But you've got to sign up because the spaces are limited. Uh, when we went in the early service, about 90 openings left. But it's a great thing for your kids to do as you're packing up food for other kids and writing notes on there for kids that don't have anything. It's a great teaching tool for your kids. Sign up before it's gone. And then there's something everyone in here can do. That is, you can also go to the teacher wish list on our Amazon. and in, I mean, on our Amazon. On Amazon. We don't own Amazon, contrary to what people think, all right? None of this goes to us, but when you click on there, you can buy something off of that list. There's 91 schools represented on this list. Let me say that again. 200 plus teachers from 91 different schools are on the Amazon wish list. And what our hope is, is that there won't be anything left for teachers to buy when we get done. I mean, I know it's a lofty goal. Maybe that's crazy, but why not? Why couldn't the church be known for that? Why couldn't we say, hey, we hear you, we see you, and listen, it ain't going to kill us to put a little time and a little money over there to see what can happen. And I know not everybody's blessed right now. Just do what you can. And then if you're looking for ideas of things that you can do, we put a, a list of all that stuff next week. I promise you, if you get out and do anything other than sitting in here listening to a sermon, you're going to be better off. And you cannot have an excuse of, I just don't know what to do because we're giving you all kinds of things you can do. Well, I don't know how much money I have. I don't care if it's $5 or $10. Put something towards helping somebody. Now, I know many of you are trying to figure out what's going on. I want to end with one video. I did two in the early hour. I'm only going to end with one. I'm going to end with everyone in here who has an excuse and think you're just too old, you can't do anything, and you need some kind of motivation today to go, well, maybe, I don't know, I just feel old. I'm retired. I don't even have any kids anymore. Why should I care? Here's a motivator for you. Here's an encouragement for you. Because if granny can do it, so can you, old person. Watch. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last. They say you're never too old to learn. But here at the Sundance Grade School in North Plainfield, New Jersey, they're proving you're never too old to teach either. See my two legs? Yes. They still move. They sure do. That's home economics teacher Agnes Zalesnik. But the kids just call her Granny. It's a nickname she comes by honestly. As the oldest living teacher in America. She turns 100 on Sunday. Do you know how old that is? Very, 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 very old. I know people can get very old like that, but I wouldn't think that Granny would do it, even without a wheelchair. Without a wheelchair, or any chair for that matter, the bottom up. Agnes puts in a full day's teaching five days a week. This is a good jolly. She hasn't burned out on the job, partly because she hasn't been doing it that long. Here. She was a homemaker most of her life. My husband didn't approve of working, so... He didn't want you to work? <laughs> he wanted me to watch it, the children. So she did. Then she watched the grandchildren. Then she played a lot of bridge, but that got old and she still felt young. So Agnes started working here at the age of 81. Today she's so devoted to these kids. She hasn't even called in sick since she was 98. I just think she loves the children. She puts the love into her cooking. Can you taste this love? 
No, you can't taste love, but you can feel love. I see. And all the children love her because she's so nice, so compassionate. So she perseveres a lot. Oh. For those oh reasons God, and a hundred more, today the kids threw her a huge birthday party. Not a retirement party, mind you. She'll be back on Monday and hopes to keep working for years to come. What else is there in life? Children make the whole world. Or at the very least, Let's get some more hugs. make your day. Steve Hartman, On the Road in North Plainfield, New Jersey. Come on, give it up for Granny, y'all. I just feel old at times, like I'll go down, I'm like, man, I'm getting old, how can I do this? And I see Granny, I'm like, okay, man, shut up. Shut up, let's go do it. Thank you for being here today, I'm gonna pray for you, but I'm asking you, go on the Amazon wish list and buy something. If you can afford to do it, do it. Sign up to be a part of a life group. When you go out, there's groups out there. Some, many of them are going to do projects. Get your family together or a business together or your friends together. Go, hey, let's go call local schools and see if there's anything we can do. And let's be known for doing good, for loving the community that desperately needs that encouragement. You can sign up to pack the meals too. There's a few spots left, so make sure you do that so that we don't have any body go in our area hungry. No kids in our area going hungry. Father, I love you. I thank you for just all that you're doing in this community. I thank you for the Simple Church. I thank you for them patiently listening through these messages. But I pray, God, that beyond their listening, what they would do is that they would leave and we would do it. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to just sit in here. But God, help us to get off of our donkey and to go make a difference. Help us to be like the Samaritan, God, that we don't look the other way. We don't move to another neighborhood. Our attention goes back to loving people the way that you did. When everybody else rejects, when everybody else runs away, God, we would be the one to be involved. We would be the one to be the light in the darkness. And the truth is, unless we go to the darkness, what difference does light make? If all the light gets together, it really doesn't have the impact. So, God, I thank you for each and every person who's been willing to do it. For anybody who's given anything over the years, God, thank you. You can't do it without it. Because this talk is cheap, man. We have to put it into action. And that money helps that to happen. So thank you for that sacrifice. I pray you'd bless them back like you promised, God. Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't surrender to a church or a denomination, but they would surrender to you, the person of Jesus. And when they meet you, they know, God, that it is about the fact that you love them so much you sent your son to die on the cross so that they can have a fresh start, a new beginning. And when we follow your son, Jesus, you can't help but be different and better. And when we do, Lord, it's going to cause us to go into some uncomfortable, messy, complicated places. Cost us some time and some money, but it will change our life. Help someone who needs that today to say, Jesus, that's what I want. Come into my life and change me. And I promise you, God, I know you'll meet him right there. I love you and I thank you again for today. So help us as we go out today to make a difference and keep doing good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I get an amen? Come on, one time.